0: Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Happy fall. I realize it's not technically fall yet, but the school year has started. Football is going to be here in a couple of weeks. And things, doesn't it just feel like fall? Go fall. Anybody else know? Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, I have today, I think in the in the fall, there's there's something about the American schedule, the American church schedule is that we do kind of there is kind of this newness of the fall. Maybe it's because school starts and you have kids or grandkids or maybe you yourself for starting school again. We have this newness. And so usually at New Life Church, we take this opportunity to start a new series that in many ways will be prophetically proclaiming like this year in advance and what we're doing. And so today, this very day, We get to start a new sermon series. And it's about a guy, a pretty normal person in the Bible. And what I mean by that is this is no king. This is no prophet. This is no priest. This is no theologian, really. A pretty normal guy who ends up rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The Lord gives him a call. He is called by God to go, to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And of course, his name is Nehemiah. So would you open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah? And I will tell you my sermon title for this day. This series is going to last, I think, five or six weeks. And then after that, we'll start another series, which I'll tell you about later. But this series, we're going to start off with this title, Nehemiah Calling, because we're going to talk about calling today. Nehemiah is called. And you, Nehemiah Calling and you. And so turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament. So if you get the Old Testament in one hand and you open, you try to find, this has worked for me like four times already. And you try to find exactly the middle. The last four times I've done this, I've opened right up to the book of Nehemiah. And it's right after the book of Ezra. If you hit the Psalms and Job, you've gone too far. But if you're on your phones or you will put the verses up here, I want, to read for us the first four verses of this book, and then we're going to talk about what calling is and how you know what your calling is. That's kind of where we're going for this sermon. So, Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word, the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. And as we go, I'm going to pause and kind of explain, because there's a lot here we need to think about as far as context goes. So Nehemiah 1.1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, that's his dad's name, great name, Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, which is a Jewish month uh, corresponding with November, December in the 12th year, and they, they marked time back then, by how long the king had been reigning. And so in the, in the tw- sorry 20th year, in this month of Kislev, I was in the citadel, which is like a palace or a fortress of Susa, which is a city in what is today uh, Iran, which is like 700 miles from Jerusalem. And that ends verse one. So he's, he's in this city. He's, he's the son of Hekaliah. Verse two says, Hananiah, One of his brothers, we think it's an actual brother of Nehemiah, came from Judah. So he's coming back from Jerusalem. Maybe he was on one of those 10-day Israel bus tours. I don't know. But he comes back from Judah with some other men, 700 miles. And he is questioned. Uh, He questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived in the exile and also about Jerusalem. And here begins some very sad news. So you see the scene. Nehemiah's in the palace of the king. A brother comes to him who has been in Jerusalem, and he reports back some very sad and disturbing news. Verse three, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And then verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days and I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this word of yours. We we know that you are in our midst. And Lord, we stand here as, as your servants, as people reading this story of Nehemiah, and Lord, would you speak to us today? Lord, if you're not speaking, if you're not here, well then this is just gonna seem like a history lesson. But Lord, would you engage our hearts? Would you open our minds? Would you open our understanding to receive this word today about Nehemiah and calling and who you are, God. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this day, for this word. We love you, Lord. We praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people at New Life Manitou shouted. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I need to do some background of nehemiah maybe you already know the background of nehemiah maybe you're experts in the old testament but one of the things i love to do and if you know me as a pastor you know that i love getting nerdy i love doing the like the background the exegesis the hermeneutics the biblical characters the biblical narrative you know me as a nerdy person right some of you do Right. I, I, try, I mean, I went to school. I got my master's. I got my doctorate. Not be, I had to work really hard. I'm not smart, but I just loved it. I love school. I love studying the Bible. It's one of my passions. And so whenever we start a new sermon series, one of my favorite moments is right now, look around. Like, this is some of the best joy I get in preaching is like talking about the big picture background of where a book falls in the timeline of what God has done in the context of Scripture. So, I'm going to present to you a Nerd Alert, and some of you know what to do. Nerd Alert. <laughs> We, it's, it's all just for fun. If you're wondering what's going on, I often wonder the same thing in this church. But what just happened was an excitement to get into the nerdy context of the book of Nehemiah. So let's start with the preamble of Genesis and work our way for just like three minutes to the book of Nehemiah. Sound good? Okay, good, because I'm about to have a lot of fun. Um, So Genesis opens up with God. There's no beginning to God. There was never a time when God wasn't. It just opens with the lines, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the main character of the book of Genesis, I'm kind of fast forwarding here, ends up to be a guy named Abram, who gets his name changed to... Abraham, good job, class. And this character is promised to be a father of many, many, many nations. He's promised a land flowing with... Milk and honey. You know this story. And we see the generations following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and generations upon generations of the Israelites. We can read about these stories through the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We get to Judges, where there's different leaders over Israel's history. Some of them are women, which is pretty cool in my uh, opinion. And then we finally get to the people really want a king, so God gives them a king. And we have Saul, and then the next king is who king david the kind of the golden age of israel's history uniting of all of these tribes and it's like uh, at least at the time a world power david his son solomon good job class and then it's it's the temple is built and then after solomon solomon has some sons that split the kingdom. And there's a north and the south. And in this history, we see that the people kind of turn against each other. There's wars amongst north and south. And there are people turning away from God. And there's people turning away from taking care of the poor and what God tells them to do. And we have different prophets warning them, saying, if you don't turn back to God, he's going to allow another People to come take you away, and this is going to be for punishment so that you will ultimately turn back to Him to the Lord. But please repent now. Do the people repent? No, they don't. And they keep in their rebellious, sinful ways, turning against God. And then you have the Babylonian, the, the, the Assyrian, the Persian come come in, making a long story short. Babylon takes over, destroys Jerusalem. One of the saddest Psalms in all of the Bible, Psalm 137. Do you know this one? I memorized it years ago. It says, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and where's Babylon that's way far away the people were taken over Jerusalem has fallen the temples destroyed by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept and there on the poplars we hung our harps and our captors asked us for songs they said sing us one of those songs of Zion how can we sing the songs of our God while in a foreign land and the psalm goes on to talk about the day Jerusalem fell. And so that's why we have people like Ezra and Nehemiah in exile. That's how he gets to the citadel of Susa. That's why he's 700 miles away from Jerusalem, because he was taken there by the captors, by Babylonians and Assyrians and Persians who ruled that part of the world at that time. So there we have it. Genesis to Nehemiah. Was that fun for you? Because that was really fun for me. I love this. I've been thinking about this all week. I was like, I can't wait to tell him. I'm going to tell him the whole history. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be so cool. And it was. I just had a lot of fun. So Genesis, here we are. Nehemiah gets word back from his literal brother who says, Jerusalem is not like it was. Jerusalem is in ruins. The wall has been destroyed. It is not going well. And is Jerusalem a big deal for Jewish people? a huge deal. It's the hugest of deals. It's like where the temple is. There's a psalm, another psalm that I love and memorized a few years ago. Psalm 122 talks about when people ascend. It's one of the psalms of ascent. So wherever you are going to Jerusalem, you have to ascend because Jerusalem's on a hill. Has anybody been to Jerusalem? Uh, A couple of us have. Maybe one day we'll do a Bible tour and take some New Life Manitou people. That would be awesome. But I remember going to Jerusalem thinking about this psalm. Psalm 122 says, when they said, Let's go to the house of God. My heart leapt for joy. And now we're here, oh Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. Jerusalem, well-built city, city to which the tribes ascend. All God's tribes go up to worship. Jerusalem is this crowning, you know, city of all the cities where God Himself is and He's worshiped there, and it's such a special place. And Nehemiah gets word back that. That is not the case. The city is in shambles. The walls are in ruin, and what does he do? He weeps, and he comes up with a plan i 'm going to argue that we see it in hindsight that that the calling of Nehemiah was clearly there he 's called to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city 's walls. So here we are. At the book of Nehemiah, so far, everything I have said in this sermon has been introduction. Now, we will formally start the sermon. (laughs) Three points on calling. So I'm going to talk to you about how does calling work. And I'm going to give you three points here in this sermon, looking uh, an overview over the book of Nehemiah. But first of all, what is calling? I presented this question uh, on Facebook and Instagram for all of you that are on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, And and sometimes every once in a while, there's a good thing on Facebook or Instagram. And I would like to say that I posted something this week that was pretty cool. Like it got people talking. I just said, we're gonna talk about the book of Nehemiah. What is calling? And people chimed in and said, had great definitions. People had great quotes. I brought this question up. We as New Life Manitou uh, staff, we meet on Wednesdays. And I brought this question up to our staff and it just got everyone talking and excited about like calling in general and calling for our own lives in fact this is a question that many people just like to talk about even non-believers here's an assignment for you i'm gonna give you a couple assignments if you so choose to pick up these assignments the first assignment is at some point this week ask someone as especially uh like non-believers people that don't even go to church it's a good introductory question just to get people thinking and talking say what is a calling and do you have a calling because it gets people talking about like general, like life and destiny and why we're here and, and and like how we see our life and our future, our five year, 10 year, 20, 40 year plan. It gets people thinking and talking and wondering about more. And as Christians, we have a really good answer about calling because we believe ultimately God is in charge. God is sovereign and he gives us callings. He's calling us to certain things. So here's a definition of a calling. I see some of you taking notes. Good job, class. Here's a definition of calling. A calling, and this is just a a definition out of dictionary.com. It's not really a spiritual one, but a strong urge toward a particular way of life. Calling is just a strong urge toward a particular way of life. And we as Christians, we would ultimately say that that urge comes from the Lord. It's Him who makes a calling for us. So here's the question the question is, how does calling work? And here's the three points, here's the three movements I'm going to now share with you. And the first one may seem obvious we hear God. The first part of how a calling works, number one, we hear God. And, um, you know, I think in hindsight, You know, we could look at Nehemiah's story and say, uh, of course Nehemiah was called. Like, duh. Like, Like, you just look at the story. Like, he was called, and he went to Jerusalem, and he rebuilt the walls. You look at this whole story, and you're like, duh. And maybe even in your own life, you look at your own life, and you look back and say, oh, God called me to that, and then I did this, and here I am now. Of course that was God's calling. Duh. But how do you know... Before that dumb moment of looking back, how do you know in the moment looking forward that God is speaking to you, that God is calling you? And I have some ideas I wrote down uh, based upon uh, our, our staff meeting, based upon what you all posted on Instagram and Facebook about people chiming in on how you know how you're, what you're called to do. People talked about your giftings. People talk about dreams and desires and just what you're naturally good at and naturally excited about. Maybe that's something the Lord is calling you to do. And then some people said, well, well not always, because sometimes the work of the Lord is hard and it's, it's, it's. Maybe in the moment, not this fun thing, but it ends up being a very satisfying, holy thing. And it was hard getting there, but you still look and say, yes, that was a calling. Some people talk about um, the fulfillment that comes when you find and, and go through a calling. I wanna make note of what Nehemiah goes through is this emotional speaking to our heart that God can often do in a calling. Here's what I mean. Nehemiah is in the citadel of Susa. He has a job. Do you know what Nehemiah's job is? little quiz question for you. He is a cupbearer to the king. Good job, class. So he's a cupbearer to the king, and he hears back from his brother, who is on a 10-day Israel bus tour, that Jerusalem is in ruins, and he, what does he do? He sits down and he weeps and he mourns and he fasts. And later in his prayer, he said, I've been calling out to you day and night. He is in emotional wreck about the state of Jerusalem. And I want to point out that maybe when the Lord speaks, because this, I'm just speaking from Nehemiah and I'm just speaking right now from my own experience, but I know in hindsight, like when the Lord speaks to me, it's like straight to my emotional Being, it's like straight to my heart and it may not may not make sense in my mind i may not know how it's going to plan out i may not have a plan but but there's something very emotional and for me like i end up weeping like nehemiah like there's something instant that happens when i'm like sensing the lord's movement and i'm just like i don't know why i'm crying and i just start crying i think about the story of new life manitou um would you want to know the story of new life manitou real quick Okay, so six years ago or so, I was at New Life North, working as the college and young adults, one of the pastors there teaching a Sunday school, life was going good. And I had lived in Manitou with my wife. Uh, We had lived in Manitou for about 10 years at that point. And we were wondering like, okay, we're, we're living in Manitou, but we're working way up North. We have community in Manitou and we have community way up North. And Lord, what are you doing? And then an opportunity, it wasn't even my idea. An opportunity was presented by the senior pastor of all the congregations, Brady Boyd, approached me and said, how would you like to uh, be a part of a church plant in Manitou Springs? And at first I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. Who would do it? And the answer was, duh, you, you've been living. You're the one you've been. I And it was just like, oh yeah, that's right. I've been training for this my whole life. I've already been a pastor. I've already lived in Manitou and I've already like, we already have a team. My wife and I, we love Manitou. And then something very special happened. We stumbled upon this verse, which I'm not even able to this day read these verses without weeping there's something about it that's very special to me and to new life manitou it's isaiah 41 starting in verse 17 if you've been coming here for uh, any amount of time you've probably heard us talk about these sets of verses because it sounds just like manitou it starts off and says when there's poor and needy in search of water And it's a metaphor about how people are spiritually thirsty. And we see Manitou, I think you would agree that Manitou is a spiritually thirsty place where people are searching. People, the average person in Manitou is probably very spiritual and they're searching. And yet there's a lot of dryness because everyone is seeking for ultimately their own creator, the Lord who has made them. And there's a a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that we long to fill that only God can fill. And anyways, going back to this passage in Isaiah 41, before I just burst into tears for you, um, is it's a passage about the, the poor and needy searching for water and there's none. And it says that their tongues are parched with thirst. And it's this metaphor about being spiritually thirsty. And then it says the Lord is going to take care of them. The Lord is going to bring streams of water and creeks and springs. And here we are a couple hundred yards from a creek, a couple hundred yards from the nearest uh, spring in Manitou. And it's going to talk about, this passage talks about how trees will grow. And here we are a couple of feet away from big trees growing in a barren place like the, the high plateaus of Manitou Springs, where it should be dry. And yet the Lord provides water for his people. And it's this metaphor of how the Lord is going to take care of his people. Anyways, all this to say, when we stumbled upon this passage and began reading it and praying through it every single time, including to this day. If I was to read for you this passage, I would just start crying. I know this enough about myself because it's for me, it's like how the Lord speaks. It's how how my heart is open to him. And and I say that because I found that to be true in my life. Nehemiah, I look at the story of Nehemiah and it's like God is speaking right to his heart and the reaction is weeping, to cry, to experience the full weight of the emotions of what God is thinking and feeling. So that's, Point one, what does it take to to know um, your calling? How does one uh, think through a calling? How does a calling work? That's the question. The first point is that we hear God. One more story about this. I think about um, the calling that, that many of you have, because I'm talking generally about a calling, but what I really want you to do is to think through your own life. I mean, if we're up here just talking about Nehemiah, it's gonna sound like uh, a history lesson on Nehemiah. And that's not the case. I want us to all, including myself, think through what has the Lord called us to do? What is the Lord calling us to do? And uh, I experienced something really cool on Tuesday. I had a friend, I'll say his name because it's an honoring story. It's my, my friend, Bobby Nicholas. Some of you might know him. Uh, he, uh, he and his wife, and he would say a whole team of people, came up with an idea to, to start a hotel in downtown Colorado Springs. So how many of you are familiar with Kinship Landing, the hotel down there? It's a, it's a wonderful hotel, brand new. Uh, he and his wife uh, t- t- thought of that idea of this travel hotel, and it came to be. They got the loans, they did, they did all the stuff, and there stands a hotel with a restaurant. Go check it out sometime. It's Kinship Landing. And now he has people under him managing day to day, week to week, year to year stuff. So now he's looking for, like, what's next? And he's asking himself, he's asking the Lord, what's next, Lord? And he's a high capacity guy. He's been my friend for years and years. And he texted a group of people a couple weeks ago saying, on this day, which is just this Tuesday that just happened. I wanna to get together and I wanna pray with a bunch of people to ask the Lord for direction for me for the future. And so we got together at like like 5 a.m. Uh, on Tuesday morning, which was no problem since I'm still jet lagged from our, my trip to Africa. I, it was like sleeping in, uh, no problem. So we get up, we go over there uh, to Cheyenne Canyon. It's beautiful. We go on a meditative um, uh, hike. We, we spend some time in prayer. We open up our Bibles. We listen to the Lord. It was really cool. Side note, I got to see a mountain lion. It was really cool. Really cool morning. Just a friend that's like, I want to set aside some time with friends to ask the Lord what's next. It was just such a cool idea. It was so refreshing to, for someone to be like, I really want to follow the Lord and his calling. And so we opened up scripture and and he just said, let's listen to the Lord and let's share with one another. Really wasn't all about, that morning wasn't about him because he he was like, what's next for all of us? And we got to share different words for each other. And my word for him was like, I really see you as someone who's really good at taking care of People who are marginalized, the poor, in in this region. He's, he's always had this gift, and he's good at thinking about systems of how he could take care of poor and marginalized people. And he shared with me a story that was really impactful to him when he was in high school. And the story really isn't even his story; it's his dad's story. So, in high school, his dad went on a mission trip for the first time to South America, and his dad uh, experienced poverty for the first time. If you've ever been on a mission trip, I think everyone should go at some point. If you were able to go to a foreign country for the purpose of missions. And New Life Church is a church where there's going to be lots of opportunities. Um, But he, Bobby's dad, whose also name is Bobby, went on a mission trip in South America, saw poverty, people dirt poor, not enough to eat, children malnourished, just, just, Poverty and he worked on a construction project with a church down there. And he came back and he's in his kitchen, and Bobby's there as a high schooler, and his dad is there with a cup of ice water. And the dad, Bobby's dad, considers that in this South American country it was hot and there wasn't enough clean water and surely there wasn't even ice and he's looking at this cup of ice water and he just loses it. He starts weeping for the poverty of the world and the blessings that he has and it was very impactful to my friend Bobby seeing his grown dad just weeping at the kitchen table over a glass of ice water and trying to explain like the poverty that he had seen and how he wants to take care of the poor. And it's like that same thing, Bobby, that's in you. Like you have this call in your life to take care of the poor, to take care of the marginalized. And it's often, it's the Lord's calling like right to our heart. And we have no other response, but to be like Nehemiah and start just weeping and crying and having the heart, a broken heart for what breaks the Lord's heart. So I want to, this is kind of the question I'm asking, like what's your calling now? What's your calling for the future? Is there a calling that you could look back and say, I used to be really, you know, broken and, and really um, all about this one thing, but maybe that thing has been put on a shelf. Maybe that thing has been buried. Maybe that thing has gotten hard. I want you to this morning, as we continue to talk about Nehemiah and his calling, for you to pull that back out and think, well, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do? What have you called me to do? And and what's next for the future. Point number two, we're gonna move pretty quick now. Point number one was, what's a calling look like? How does it work? First, you hear God. Secondly, you say yes to God. Secondly, it it seems pretty obvious, but you gotta put feet to these ideas of the calling. Nehemiah has a plan when he uh, prays. So in chapter one, he hears this bad news, he starts weeping, then he prays a prayer and it's a beautiful prayer. Second assignment for you is to go read chapter one of Nehemiah and read through, pray through these six verses of Nehemiah's prayer because it carries with it, some action. Right at the end, he says this, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And that man is going to be the king. He's going to present the idea of going back to Jerusalem to the king. And the very last statement of chapter one of Nehemiah is I was cupbearer to the king. So he has a plan. He he prays and has a plan. You know, I think in our day and age, there's this phrase that maybe some of you maybe maybe it's just me i've become tired of this phrase and it's a nice phrase so, so what's wrong with me maybe it's just a weird thing that i need to deal with but anyways this phrase you know our thoughts and prayers you know something will happen and someone will make a press release and say our thoughts and prayers are with you And maybe this is just me having a bad attitude but i'm like are you even thinking about them are you even praying why don't you do so like why don't you send something and do something instead of just thoughts and prayers Anybody else? Okay, it's just one of those phrases that I hear it so much and it's a nice phrase. So maybe there's just something wrong with me when I hear this, but I just kind of like, man, we, we gotta do something, not just thoughts and prayers. Nehemiah doesn't just send thoughts and prayers to Jerusalem. What does he do? He goes. He goes right away. He talks to the king, which, which you've, if you read the story, and we will in this coming series, uh, he, he's worried for his life, that the king is going to kill him because off with his head. You know, the king has all this power. And he presents this idea to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He, he, he has this determination to say yes to the calling. I'm reading this book right now about uh, the Rwandan genocide. This might be news to a lot of uh, Americans because it happened, we're coming on 30 years since the Rwandan genocide. And it happened in a very short amount of time, about a three month window where a million people in Rwanda were killed. Does anybody, you remember the Rwandan genocide? Lots of hands. Okay, so what happened was and we got when we went to the Congo just the week before last, we went in and out of Rwanda, and while we were in Rwanda, we got to visit the Rwandan Genocide Museum. And it was just absolutely heartbreaking. There was two, there still is like two uh, ethnic groups in Rwanda, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And back in the 90s, there was a lot of turmoil where the Hutus had all the the people and the Tutsis had a lot of the wealth and land and power. And there was this sentiment growing that the Hutus were really upset at the Tutsis. And you read some of the rhetoric that was playing on the radios and the TV and the newspapers. And it was like, we need to get rid, I mean, it's horrible, we need to get rid of these cockroaches who are destroying our country, we need to send them back to Ethiopia. Just horrible language being presented uh, for the Hutu people to get rid of the Tutsis, and there was a lot of political pressure and turmoil. And then something snapped. The summer of 1994. I remember I was in high school hearing about this, and the Hutus, like average, like this wasn't a militia. This was this was like average. Like people killing their own neighbors. A million people were killed over the course of three months June, July, and August. And it was like you see this museum, and people were left dead. Some survivors, because they hid under a bed while their neighbors, like we're neighbors, I went to school with you. And they come in and they kill the parents and the kids. And one girl we knew firsthand was hit in the head with a machete, and she was bleeding everywhere. And she was laying on the, her own family as they were dying, and she was just. Pers- presumed dead, and so she went and got up from that and tried to hide and ran away. She became a survivor, and so I'm reading this book of a man, a Christian man who's a counselor who fled from Rwanda, and then after this genocide came back, and his role was a counselor. He's a Christian counselor. And he writes about counseling people through tragedy. He counseled people that were murderers and killed their own neighbors. He counseled people that were Tutsi survivors. And he counseled, like he's trying to bring stability. And Rwanda, by the way, it's, it's a case study in how forgiveness and rebuilding can happen so quickly because you go to Rwanda now and you would never know that this horrible genocide happened 30 years ago. It's one of the you know, well-built, wealthiest countries in the continent of Africa. But this man, this Christian man who is like a bishop, goes back to Rwanda to counsel people. And I tell this whole story to say that one of the main points he says is that he was counseling people that that had a lot of problems to talk about. I mean, you can imagine. Had a lot of addictions, had a lot of PTSD, had a lot of depression and fear and anxiety. And he goes on and on about all these problems and how the the counseling led him for for people just to talk about their problems. And he came to this understanding that that people are just getting counseling to talk about their problems and there was no real decision to get better. And he said, I started making every person I saw in counseling, we have to agree to move on from this. You've been coming in here and... and all, you, all we do is to talk about the issue and nothing has changed. We need to see change. You need to agree to change and to say yes to that before we can move on. And person after person made that decision and change happened and he saw it firsthand. Point number two is, is what a calling needs to look like is we need to say yes. So we listen to God, we hear him and then we need to say yes. The third point is this and it'll be a quick one. We need to refuse to quit. Once we've heard a calling, once we've said yes to that calling, we have to refuse to quit even in opposition. We're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. And there's tons of opposition. He has enemies that want to kill him. He has people against the building of the wall. He has people that want to war against him. And so there's this famous scene where in one hand, you will be working with the trowel. And in the other hand, you will have a... A weapon a sword like it's in both hands you're working with one hand and your other hand has a weapon because of all the turmoil and opposition and yet nehemiah goes through with this plan and he refused refuses to quit and maybe i'm going to say something right now that it's maybe just for me but maybe someone else in here will agree with it but you've heard a calling from the lord and you've said yes to that calling and then you start you take a step and you see some opposition And I've heard this phrase before. You're like, oh, you throw your hands up. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself right now. You throw your hands up and say, well, maybe the Lord shut the door. It's like, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe that's just life. Maybe that's just opposition. Maybe that's just how this thing works that the calling the Lord has called you to is gonna be a little hard and you're gonna have to overcome. And the Lord, he is gonna be with you and he's gonna be the one to be glorified through you refusing to quit. Amen? So as I wrap up this sermon and, and look through Nehemiah, all he does is he gets people to put one stone on top of another to rebuild a wall. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. You just He goes back and he says, Pete, guys, we got to rebuild this wall. Let's put these stones back in place. And the people do it. And what happens is the walls are rebuilt. And what happens then is that people feel safe to come back. And when people feel safe to come back, Jerusalem is then restored. And then fast forward 400 years, we have the greatest story ever told. God becomes a human. As humans born in Bethlehem, fully God, fully human, Jesus Christ. And he enters into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. And he enters the walls of Jerusalem. And I imagine, just me thinking out loud, he looks around at the walls and says, Nehemiah, good job. Like this city has been rebuilt. 400 years have passed and it's all because of this call that Nehemiah had to go back and to rebuild. And the number of days, it says this in the book of Nehemiah, that it took for Nehemiah to to work with the teams and get people going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was 52 days. Think about that. Like think about all the frustrating uh, <laughs> construction projects going on and how they're never done on time. I'm thinking about like Manitou Ave and the way, they're still working on it. It's, come on. Like in my mind, I'm like, can't you just like lay the stuff and finish it? To, come on. I have no idea how the construction works, so that's just me being weird. But I imagine you've felt it too. Like anybody else know firsthand, like a construction project, <laughs> firsthand that goes way too long. This is a miracle. I know there's lots of awesome miracles in the Old Testament. The parting of the Red Sea, the burning bush, David, a boy killing Goliath, manna from heaven, Elijah praying over a boy who's dead and him coming back to life. But maybe this construction project being done in 52 days is yet one of those other awesome miracles in the Old Testament. And for that, Nehemiah has to give credit to the Lord. So as we transition now to the table, we remind ourselves every single week with communion that we receive the bread, we receive the cup, and we need this. Like these are the gifts of God for the people of God. We receive them and remind ourselves that this isn't our work, it's the Lord's work. He's calling us, he's helping us, he's guiding us, he's giving us the sustenance we need. So I wanna invite you as you're sitting down to to reach down, there's baskets to get the elements. We have little cups. And as you get them, the band can come forward after you get them. Make sure people around you have them. This table is open to anyone that believes in Jesus, whether you're a member here or not. As you get your elements, would you stand with me and just hold them? I'm gonna pray over this time and then Brett's gonna lead us to the table. But let's take a minute. I gave you some questions today. I said, uh, what's the Lord calling you to do? In the book of Nehemiah, the Lord so clearly calls him to just go back to Jerusalem and build a wall. And he seems like uh, just a normal person called to do a pretty normal task, like rebuild a wall. And yet it becomes a story that changes the destiny of, uh, of the world, I'm arguing, when Jesus comes to a rebuilt Jerusalem. like It just falls in place. And I'm wondering... If the Lord has called you or is calling you or will call you to something, what is that? Would you let the Lord speak to you now? So Lord, as we hold these elements, Lord, we, we pray right now that you would show us the call for our life, the direction, the path that you want us to be on. Lord, would you make that clear to us? Would you open up our hearts and our minds to, to be your servants? Each one of us have something different in our life, and our call, it's, it's unique to us. And Lord, you love us enough to have callings for each one of us. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. We know that it's only by you, your grace, your mercy. That's why we receive communion together because it's only by these, the, the, the grace that you bestow upon us that we are able to walk in your will, to walk in your ways. So Lord, open our hearts now as we receive from your table.